I don't know if anybody in here ever collected uh, sports memorabilia or not. Um, I know my my family, at least my dad, was very big for a while on baseball cards, and we collected a lot of those for a while. And there's other memorabilia that I know people collect, but if you want your sports memorabilia or anything of that sort to increase in value, what you do is you get it graded, right? You take it or send it off to a company that sees, that measures it and kind of does all these different tests on it. And the authenticity of that item or the purity of that item is graded by this series of tests that they do. Or we kind of see the same thing, right? With, with silver, we can refine the purity of silver by putting it through a fire, right? The heat refines the silver. Last week we saw that Jesus fed the 5,000, right? But we saw that before he ever did so, there was a test put in front of his disciples. And what we see this week is, even though they failed last week, we see Jesus put another test in front of them. Hence the name, the title of the sermon of Another Test. But this time it's in the midst of waves. At the end of the feeding, we see the disciples begin to travel again to the other side of the sea. And we see that they have another test of faith as they are in the water. I just want to make a note here that this miracle, this sign that we see today, is also included in the books of Matthew and Mark. So we'll be referring to them for some details as we go along the way. But our main passage is John chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 16. John chapter 6, starting in verse 16, it says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So the first thing we need to camp out on is the situation. The situation that the disciples in, which is they had fear in the midst of waves, right? It's necessary for us to begin to recognize. We start all of this by recognizing true hardship in the circumstances that they were facing. There was real difficulty in the wind and the waves, right? Look at verses 16 and 17. Evening came. The disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark And Jesus had not yet come to them. So we find out it was evening. They begin this travel across the sea, which is about six or seven miles. Right? They're starting it in the evening. So now it becomes dark. Now they're rowing miles in the dark. But we see even more added to it. Verse 18. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing when they had rowed about three or four miles. The other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, tell us that it was the fourth watch of the night at this point, which is somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. 
So they started rowing in the evening when it was dark, right? And now it's three or somewhere between three and six a.m. And they've made it three or four miles halfway across the water. They've been rowing for six hours or more. And they've only made it halfway. Now it doesn't mention yet in this passage that the disciples have become fearful. But we can imagine the conversations that are going on, right? The, uh, half of them are fishermen. And they're like, it has been six or more hours. And we've made it halfway across this water. Even for fishermen, this is a difficult time. Mark says that they were making painful headway, right? This was a toiling, laborsome process. They continued to to push through. And just like the disciples were experiencing real difficulty in their lives, so do you experience real difficulty in life. Now, you may never have to row a boat for miles in the midst of winds and waves, but sometimes life may feel like that. That you continue to push through, that it seems like you've been going a long time at it, but you just don't seem to be making any progress. It might be financial hardship. It might be dealing with a physical illness. It might be relational brokenness. You might be dealing with anxiety or depression, or you might be having issues at your job, whether you've lost your job or there's just hardship at the job you do have. And it's likely that yours has lasted longer than theirs. Most of our hardships in life seem to last longer than six hours. You might have months of financial struggle. Or you might have years of dealing with anxiety. Or you may have decades of relationships that are broken. This test for the disciples is helpful for us today to look at as our own difficulties in life. But as we saw, there's no mention of fear yet, which should stir us to ask the question, why? Why is it not mentioned that they are afraid? Is it just left out, or is there a reason behind it? We have to remember, Matthew and Mark tell us that before this situation, there was another situation with Jesus and the disciples and a storm, and it was when Jesus was asleep on the boat with them. And he stands up and he calms the wind and the waves. So are the disciples not afraid now? Because they know that Jesus is able to calm the storm, so as they're going through the waves, do they really not have any fear? But then John includes a detail here for us. Jesus is absent. Verse 17. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. They couldn't see Jesus. They didn't know where Jesus was. They just know that they had gotten the boat and left. Now we can conjecture ourselves and say, maybe they were fearful. Now now they didn't have Jesus, right? Surely we can say there were questions being asked, right? Mark tells us the detail that after Jesus had fed the 5,000, the disciples' hearts had been hardened by that. They didn't increase in their faith. Their hearts were actually hardened by it. They still weren't able to fully grasp who this Jesus was. And now this Jesus isn't even there. And why isn't he there? Well, we find out 
from the other Gospels that it's because Jesus went up into the mountain to pray. So we have to figure that the disciples are dealing with some sense of loneliness here. That Jesus is distant from them, that Jesus is gone from them. Even if he is able to calm the sea, he's not with us at this point in time. But there's a detail that Mark includes that I think it's important for us to pay attention to. It's in Mark chapter 6. Verse 47, starting there. It says, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Do you see the detail Mark includes? Jesus is watching them. Though they felt that Jesus was distant, though they couldn't see Jesus, though they thought he wasn't watching them, they probably felt that he had abandoned them. Mark tells us Jesus watched them row out in the midst of the wind and the waves. Jesus knew that there was a moment coming in the midst of this wavy situation that he was going to make himself known to his disciples even though they felt he was probably distant from them. You know, probably one of the best and worst inventions ever for parents of young children is baby monitors, right? Best because you get to keep an eye on your children. Worst because you get to keep an eye on your children, right? Because you're constantly checking it at times. But it's really interesting, you know, now that they have the ones where not only you watch them, but you can talk to your kids through the monitors. Because what you find out is your kid wakes up in the night and they're, they're screaming and they're crying in their crib because they feel lost, right? They feel distant. Nobody's around. But as soon as you speak through that monitor, it stops. Right? Now, they may start crying again because they don't see you. And if you stop talking for a while, they think you're still not there. But... From the mo- that moment, at least, it stops because they realize, even though they thought you weren't paying attention to them, they thought you had abandoned them, that you were watching. In the times of the wind and the waves in your life, you're going to feel like you're alone. You're going to be asking questions of, where is God in all of this? I thought God was supposed to love me here. But remember this morning, just because it feels like God is distant from you doesn't mean he doesn't see what you're going through doesn't mean that he's not watching every detail of the wind and the waves. Yet, we see that fear doesn't subside for the disciples. They continue to have fear because they misidentify Jesus. Jesus comes to them, verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Now, John doesn't give us details here. John just says, Jesus came, and they were frightened. They were scared. They became afraid. But the Gospels, the other Gospels, clarify for us what happens. They thought it was a ghost. They thought a dead man was walking towards them, and they didn't think that dead man was Jesus. So they became afraid. 
They identified Jesus as someone other than who Jesus truly is, and it resulted in increase of fear, not of faith. When you don't see Jesus clearly, your fear tends to increase. During your rough times in life, your fear will always increase if you're not seeing Jesus rightly. Think about it. If you have financial hardship and you think of Jesus only as the one who is the giver of money, and you neglect that Jesus is the one who satisfies you even when you have a little money, you're going to be anxious. You're going to continue in fear of, when's he going to give me more? When's he going to give me more? Instead of saying, he satisfies me even if he doesn't give me more. Right? And you see Jesus as the one who is the neighbor reconciler, but you neglect that Jesus is first and foremost the God reconciler. You're always going to be afraid, even if you're reconciled to your neighbor or to your friend or whoever it is, even if you're reconciled, you're going to always be afraid of when's that relationship going to break again if you don't first and foremost realize that you both need to be reconciled to God first. You cannot, we must not misidentify Jesus in the midst of, of our wind and our waves. Your difficult times in life are real. And they can be extremely challenging. But there is a determining factor that we see here of what becomes of you in the midst of your winds and your waves. And that determining factor is how you respond to Jesus. The determining factor is Jesus. Jesus uses these rough seas to make himself known to the disciples. How they respond to him, how they respond to who Jesus is, determines what becomes of them in the midst of their wind and their waves. There are particular truths about Jesus that we need to see in this situation this morning. The first one may shock you, but give me a moment to explain myself. First, Jesus plans the waves. Again, that may shock some people hearing this. Jesus plans the waves. Not he uses them. Jesus plans the waves. John tells us the disciples went down to the sea and started traveling, right? Not much to it, but we see more details given to us by the other gospel writers. Look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately... He made the disciples get into the boat and go go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. He made his disciples get in the boat and leave. There's this hint in this word of making them, this forcing them. There's this hint of contention, right? The disciples are like, "Uh, we don't want to go without you. We don't want to leave you here alone. We found out later in John chapter 6 that there was only one boat. So the disciples are like, we don't want to leave you here without a boat. And Jesus is like, go, get in the boat and go. So Jesus leads them into the boat. He sends them out without him present. And he does so with the wind and the waves coming. Now you ask the question, did Jesus know that the wind and the waves were going to come? Well, if you remember last week, right, with the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus asks Philip, right, where are we going to get food to feed all these people? But it says, he asked them, asked Philip this to test him, for Jesus already knew what he was going to do. So we have to believe the same is true here. 
that Jesus already knows the wind and the waves are coming. And he sends them out in the boat by themselves. And further than that, remember the detail we just found out from Mark? Jesus stands on the shore and watches them. This same Jesus that calmed the sea before stands there and watches them in the midst of the wind and the waves and doesn't calm the seas. Jesus planned the waves. It's all part of his plan to send them out by themselves, knowing the wind and the waves are coming. We have to realize that our own hardships in life are planned by Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus doing the works of the Father, so your hardships in life are planned by God. This is the same God who tested Israel in the wilderness. The same God who brings Israel into exile, into captivity under another nation and says, I'm doing so to refine you. Or this is the same Jesus who comes into our world, enters this world, takes on flesh, knowing the whole time he's going to end up on a cross. This is the same Jesus that tells his disciples, if they hated me, what do you think they're going to do to you? It's all part of the plan. Jesus plans this, though, these waves, this wind, in order to reveal himself to his disciples, in order to give them another glimpse of who he is. And the same is true of your hardships in life. Jesus plans them to drive you to see more of who God is. There's a couple truths I think we need to focus on of what we find out about Jesus in the midst of this time. One of which may be the most comforting thing is what we just talked about, that Jesus plans the waves. That should be a comfort to us. But there's more also that I want to cover with you. The first one, Jesus has authority over the waves. Now, this may sound similar to what I just said, but I want to settle on a different facet of it here. Look at the miracle itself, right in verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. The very waters that they just spent hours trying to fight through. Jesus comes strolling on top of. The very situation that they are facing holds no weight over Jesus. Jesus has control over every element of what's happening in front of them. Remember the detail last week that we found out of why it was significant that John included that the feeding of the 5,000, it was near the time of Passover, right? And it recalled Moses, and it recalled the supreme manna, right? Moses gave manna, God gave manna through Moses, and Jesus was providing a better manna. But think of it here, this is only that night, right, that the disciples are traveling, so it's still the time of Passover. So if you have Moses on your mind and you start facing water troubles, what do you think of? Probably the Red Sea. But yet now we have Jesus, we have Moses, who by God splits the sea, 
and they walk across. But now we have Jesus come and say, I don't have to split the sea. I walk on top of it. So we have Jesus taking the very situation and saying, I have all authority over every element of what's happening here. You know, one of the great things about having little kids in the home is they get amazed when you can do anything that they can't do. The things I get cheer and applause for at home is amazing, right? All I have to do is Albert has this little basketball hoop in his room, and all I have to do is stand on the other side of the room and shoot it from the doorway and make a basket, and Sadie goes nuts like it's the coolest thing. But I have limitations. Jesus doesn't. When are we going to start looking at Jesus the same way Sadie looks at me and say, he has authority over every element. Every aspect of my life is held in his hands. This should be a comfort for you this morning. That not a single hardship you face, whether it's financial, relational, physical, emotional, not a single one of them is outside of his grasp. He has all authority to walk on top of every difficulty you face in life. And not only does he hold it all in his hands, but Jesus himself is available to you in it. Our second point, Jesus is near during the waves. Now, at first, you might say, well, Jesus was watching them from a distance, but notice what it ultimately leads to in verse 19. It says, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. Jesus could have walked across the sea and never let the disciples see him. Right? That's a valid option of what Jesus could have chosen to do. He could have, they could have arrived at the shore however many hours later and Jesus was standing at the shore waiting for them. But instead, in the midst of the wind and the wave, Jesus comes near the boat. Why? In order for them to see him. In order for them to recognize more about who he is. Right? They wouldn't have had Jesus more fully revealed to them if he hadn't come near them if he, if he didn't let them see him walking across the wind and the waves, then they wouldn't have ever known anything. So though you may at times feel like Jesus is distant in the midst of your difficulty, not only is Jesus watching, but the opportunity is always there for you to draw near to him. We need to hold on to the words of James that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. As Jesus comes near them, we saw that they became afraid because they thought he was a ghost. But then we find out that Jesus has something to say. So Jesus has authority over the waves. Jesus is near during the waves. Jesus speaks in the midst of waves. Verse 20. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. There's two specific things here, right? Let's split this phrase in half. First of all, Jesus identifies himself. 
and then Jesus calls them to trust in him. Right? First thing he says is, it is I. As we saw before, it is necessary for us to recognize Jesus' true identity. If we mistake who Jesus is, if we misidentify him, it only results in fear. So first we have to make sure that we're getting Jesus right, getting his identity right. And Jesus is making himself known here, right? He says, it is I. Literally translated, it says, I am. Does that ring any bells? If we think of Moses again, right? Moses is standing in front of the burning bush. And he says, who who am I going to tell these people, right? God tells him to go to Egypt and to free the people. He says, who am I going to tell them sent me? And God says, tell them I am sent you. Jesus is on to something here. Jesus comes to his disciples in the midst of the wind and the waves and says, I am. And we're going to see that this is a common theme throughout the Gospel of John. John has seven I am statements that Jesus says. I am, insert, fill in the blank, and we'll cover those as we get through it. But essentially here we see Jesus is saying, I am God himself. I am the same one that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. But second, as Jesus' identity is revealed, Jesus then commands trust from the disciples, right? He says, don't be afraid, right? He's telling them, by being afraid, that means you're trusting in something that's causing you fear. So when I tell you don't be afraid, I'm telling you stop trusting in whatever you're trusting in, but instead trust in me. As I've just told you who I am. Realize that, right? Come to the knowledge, understanding of who I am that stands in front of you and put yourself under my care. And we see the disciples respond rightly. They receive Jesus into the boat, but it's only in response to what Jesus says to them in the midst of the wind and the waves. So whatever your struggle might be this morning, whatever hardship you might face, Realize this, Jesus has something to say. Jesus speaks into the midst of your hardship. If you're facing anxiety, remember Jesus says, cast your cares on me. Remember Jesus says, if the Father cares for the sparrows, how much more is he going to care for you? Or if you're facing bitterness, right, you're struggling to forgive somebody, Jesus says, if you want to forgive somebody, you first must realize how much God forgives you. Or maybe you're facing the temptation of greed, of wanting more possessions, wanting more stuff. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that you would go sell all your possessions for. The kingdom of heaven, having Jesus, is more precious, more valuable than any possessions you could ever chase after. So we see Jesus speaks in the midst of the wind and the waves. And then finally, Jesus is victorious over the waves. John gives us a detail that none of the other Gospels do. Verse 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The boat instantly arrives from being halfway across the water. Now they don't, only, now they don't have to deal with the waves, but they also don't even have to deal with the water. They're already at the land. Jesus shows them that he is their only hope 
to get to the other side. The only hope for our hardships that we face is Jesus. He don't, not only is the one who walks on the waves, but he is the one who removes the waves. And not only the waves, but the greatest difficulty. Right? The biggest thing, the, the largest hardship, the most massive difficulty that the disciples or you and I will ever face is our own sin. And we see that this depth of the sin that we are born with puts us in a boat headed towards eternal torment. But by Christ's perfect life, by his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later, he shows that he has victory over our sin. That those who believe in Jesus as the only way for their salvation, those who entrust themselves to him fully, find assurance that Jesus gives them victories, victory over their sin in the present, and ultimately that they will never see sin in all eternity. So your hardship today will only have victory, true victory, in Jesus. It may not be as immediate as this situation was, though salvation is that immediate. So if your struggle is salvation, that you haven't been forgiven of your sin, that victory is immediate for you if you put your faith in Jesus. But if you're struggling something like anger or lust or envy or slander or self-centeredness, you have to realize your only hope for victory is found in Jesus. You have to believe that he has authority over that struggle. You have to draw near to him in the midst of that struggle, and you have to listen to him while you face it. But you have the assurance here that he is the one that will bring you safely through. So how will you respond today? That is the question that sits before you. The response we see of the disciples is one of authentic faith. Remember these tests that Jesus puts in front of them. Just like the tests that are put for sports memorabilia or the way that silver is tested, right? Those tests are done to uncover the authenticity of that object. The wind and the waves are peeling back the curtain on the heart of the disciples. Just like our own hardships, right? Reveal whether we're authentically people of faith. I want to hit just a couple aspects of what authentic faith looks like that we see here. First of all, authentic faith recognizes Jesus. Right? We saw this in verse 20. He said to them, it is I. This is deeper than a casual association of, I I have a general concept of who Jesus is. But this is saying, I know that Jesus is Savior. I know Jesus is Lord. I know he is King. He is Creator. He is Sovereign. He is the Son of God. In your difficulties in life, are you recognizing Jesus for who he truly is? So that's the first one. Authentic faith recognizes Jesus. The second one, authentic faith listens to Jesus. Right? We mentioned Jesus speaks in the midst of the waves. It's up to the disciples on whether they're going to listen to him or not. The disciples could have responded with, Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid. They could have said, Jesus died, and it really is Jesus' ghost standing in front of us. 
They could have responded without truly listening to what Jesus was saying. But they don't. They recognize who this is, and they listen to his voice, and they find that their fears are relieved in the midst of it. As the waves crash around you in your circumstances of life, do you hear Jesus' voice? Because in our present culture, we have thousands of voices barking for our attention. You have family members, you have friends, you have social media, you have blogs, you have websites, you have books, you have the news, go on and on. Genuine faith listens to Jesus. It seeks his word. And it seeks to find counsel from other believers who know his word. Faith listens to Jesus. Third one, authentic faith desires Jesus. Notice the change in the disciples after they recognize Jesus and after they listen to Jesus. What happens? Verse 21, then they were glad to take him into the boat. They just went from being frightened to being happy, to being glad to take him into the boat. They wanted Jesus to be with them. This is probably one of the most neglected parts of our faith. Because desires are so hard for us to actually recognize, right? At least in each other. We can only see the manifestation of other people's desires. We can't actually see desires, just the, how those desires play out in someone's life. Right? We can say all the right things, but have these internal desires not really be where they need to be. But authentic faith, real faith, wants Jesus, desires Jesus, no matter what your situation is. In reality, if you don't desire Jesus, it's probably because you've missed the first two. You don't really recognize who he is, and you're not really listening to him. Real faith desires him and finds any way they can to be with him. Which means something. That your Sunday morning attendance doesn't mean much to prove. You can show up to church once a week for an hour, hour and a half, and not truly desire Jesus. Right? I'm not saying that church is unimportant, but what I'm saying is by attending church once a week, you're not proving a whole lot. You're not really making much of a case that you really want much of Jesus. Right? True faith wants much more than that. True faith wants to pray to him throughout your entire day, every day of the week. True faith wants to be in his word every day, meditating on it. True faith latches on to other people who believe the same things you do and holds on to them tightly because they'll speak the word into your life. God is set up specific ways for us to pursue Jesus. He has put his spirit in us so that when we pray, we can find Jesus. He has given us his word for us to hear, to read, to meditate on, and he has given us each other to carry each other's burdens, to speak the word into each other's lives. So when the raging winds of life come, What do your desires show about your faith? And then the last one. Authentic faith worships Jesus. We have to jump over to Matthew for this one. This is the last statement in the whole passage of Matthew. Matthew 14, 33. 
And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Remember, this is John's whole point of writing the gospel. John tells us at the end of his gospel, my whole point in writing these things to you is that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And here we have Matthew saying, the disciples have recognized, truly this is the Son of God, and their authentic faith requires them to worship. If something is your greatest desire, you not only seek after it a lot, but you place a highest value on it. The disciples are placing the utmost honor, glory, and praise upon Jesus because they realize that this is the Son of God. So when the times of darkness in your life come, what gets your worship? And I'm not just asking what gets your worship on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I'm talking about those moments when you're at your kitchen table crying. Or those moments when you're lying awake at night consumed with anxiety of what's happening in life. Or those moments where your anxiety overtakes you so much that you start shaking and you can't control yourself. In those moments is Jesus getting all your praise. Because that's authentic faith. So brothers and sisters, your question for you this morning. In the midst of the waves of your life, how will you respond to Jesus? The wind and the waves are inevitable. They're going to come. We live in a fallen world and Jesus plans them. And they can be really tough sometimes. But when they do come and test your faith, how authentic is your faith? Do you recognize Jesus as the one who has all authority over the waves in your life? Do you listen to Jesus speaking to you in the midst of those waves? Do you desire to be with Jesus as you face the crashing of these waves? And do you worship Jesus as the only one who can give you true victory over the waves? Let's pray.